0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Titus and the third chapter of Titus. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and in the back part turn to page 168, and you would be at Titus chapter 3. Now, growing up as a boy, I loved adventure series on television, and Disney had some of the best. One of my favorite was the Davy Crockett series. He was a frontier figure, yeah, in the early 1800s. And one of the things that was cool about Those series that Disney would do is they had songs that went with it. You know, like the Davy Crockett went something like this, Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier, the man who don't know fear, seeing his duty clear, leading in the pioneer. Yeah, that was Davy Crockett. And then there was a second series that Disney did on Daniel Boone, who was a frontiersman in the latter 1700s. And actually, his song was even better. Daniel Boone was a man, yes a big man, with an eye like an eagle and tall as a mountain was he. What a boon, what a doer, what a dream come a truer was he. Yeah, that kind of stuff gets to you. What was cool about both of those guys, Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, is they both wore raccoon skin hats. And like thousands of other young boys, I had to have my own coon skin cap because I wanted to imitate those guys. See, they were my heroes, and as my heroes, they were... Defenders of the downtrodden, they would rescue those in need. And I want you to know when I would watch that series, I was inspired for the next couple of days. For the next couple of days, I would be there imitating my hero that I had been watching. You know, the last time we were in the book of Titus, we looked at verses four to seven, where we looked at God's amazing work in salvation. And the truth is, if you know Jesus, he is our ultimate hero. What did he do? But he rescued those in need, and that's us. And he is the defender of the downtrodden. And he just did this incredible act of kindness, which was giving his life for us on the cross. And when you when when you review through that, like we did a couple of weeks ago, it's it's thrilling, it's inspiring. And that is the intended response. And what we ought to, and we look at that, is we ought to have this desire to imitate our hero. He did the greatest good deed in the history of the universe in dying for you and me. And what the Lord Jesus did, here's what you need to understand, is to have an impact on how we live our life. We've been doing a series of messages entitled Designer's Fashion, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And the title of our message today is Godliness and Good Works. That's what we're going to be studying and looking at. And I want to read this morning as we complete our study, verses 8 to 15 to the end of the book. I invite you to follow along as I read. Paul writes, this is a trustworthy statement and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, avoid those things, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, our plan today is to look at three different things as we talk about godliness and good works. First of all, we're going to look at, again, a reminder of the culture at Crete. Just to remind us a little bit of the background. Then we're going to look very briefly at the New Testament emphasis on good deeds. And then we're going to mine out our call to practice good deeds. So that's our plan. So let's begin with this reminder of the culture at Crete. And as I remind you of the culture at Crete, I want you to just think about, does any of this sound familiar to us in our culture today? You remember that the culture at at Crete was very egocentric. Crete was an island. And the people who lived on an island lived in a thick fog of selfishness. It was a culture characterized by self fulfillment and self focus rather than an other's focus. It was a culture that was characterized by personal prosperity rather than meeting the needs of other people. And it's Here's the the idea that Paul has in mind for Titus. It's very critical, he's saying, for the followers of Jesus to break out of that selfish orientation and to start actively serving other people. Now, as I go through that reminder of the culture at Crete, do you hear any parallels with today? It's kind of interesting when Paul wrote 2 Timothy in chapter 3. He says, in the last days... People will be lovers of self and lovers of pleasure. And the truth is that the culture today that we live in has an undertow to it. And it always wants to keep dragging us down. And the culture just wants to drag us down to where our thinking is focused on things like this What about me? What about my needs? What is the government going to do for me? What is the church doing for me? And I believe it is very critical for the followers of Jesus to break out of this undertow, this selfish orientation, and to actively, actively be involved in serving other people. See, for those of us who have embraced the good news, the challenge is we're to imitate our hero. And he did good deeds, and thus we should be engaged in good deeds. Now, the second thing we said we were going to look at today is the New Testament emphasis on good deeds. And if you've been with us in this study, we have emphasized the fact that good works are not a condition for salvation. Remember, salvation, from a biblical standpoint, is spelt D-O-N-E. Jesus did all of the work. Good works is not a condition for salvation, but good works are a normal outworking of salvation. And I want us just to look at a few passages, so turn to the left, if you would, a couple of books to Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and verses 8 to 10. And you have this idea that salvation is not by works, but again, this idea that good works are the normal outworking of salvation. Familiar passage to many of us. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But notice it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. What does it say next? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. There's this very clear emphasis in the New Testament on good deeds. Go a number of books to the left, all the way to the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter number 5 and verse 16, which is really one of the theme verses for Wildwood, Matthew five sixteen. This is Jesus talking, and he says, let your light shine before men in such a way. Now think about that for a moment. Our light is to shine before men in such a way that what? What does it say there? Look, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, there's this New Testament emphasis on good deeds. In 1 Peter 2.12, it says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds or your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits us. See, men and women, when we practice good deeds, the unseen world becomes visible. When we practice good deeds, people around us begin to say, there's something different about that person. There's something different about them. You see, kindness attracts. It always has. And good deeds are part of the designer's fashion for us. And good deeds are to be the mark of every believer. We see this over and over again in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy 2.10, it says it is to be the mark of women that they would have good deeds in their life. In 1 Timothy 5.10, it says it's to be the mark of widows, that there are to be good deeds present in their life. In 1 Timothy 6.18, it says it's to be the mark of the wealthy that they are to have and be displaying good deeds in their life. Back in the book of Titus in chapter 2, verse 7, it's to be the mark of leaders that they have good deeds being displayed in their life. And if you go back to Titus and you look at chapter 2, verse 14, we see it's it's to be part of the fashion for everyone. Remember it talks about there how he gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession. And then what does it say? What does it say in your Bible there? Zealous for good deeds. This is to be the mark of every believer. Now, now listen a little bit here for a moment. For a recipient of God's amazing grace... To not be consistently engaged in good deeds is abnormal. See, it's to be a normal part of the designer's fashion for our life. For us to not be engaged in good deeds is an anomaly, it doesn't fit. And in the book of Titus, this is a recurring theme over and over again. Let me just remind you of what it says in chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Remind them, the believers, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Then what does it say? To be ready for every good deed. Notice what it says in verse 8, which we read earlier. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God, that's you and me, will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Again, it's repeated in verse 14. Our people also must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. There is an incredible emphasis in the New Testament on the importance of believers practicing good deeds. Now, the third thing we said we were going to look at today is our actual call to practice good deeds here in Titus chapter 3. So let's take a look at the verses that we read earlier. I want you to notice in verse 8 it begins with this little phrase, this is a trustworthy statement. And in all likelihood that is referring backwards to what was stated in verses 4 to 7. Many commentators believe that verses 4 to 7 was a poetic expression of an early confession of faith when it goes through the work that Jesus Christ did on our behalf. And you have a a similar phrase used in 2 Timothy 2.11 where it says this is a trustworthy statement. It's all in the context of these little confessions that we believe the early believers said that talked about what Christ had done. So he's saying, verses 4 to 7 is a trustworthy statement, and then he goes on to say, and concerning these things, all related to what Christ had done and what we ought to be doing in light of that, he says, I want you to speak confidently. In other words, he's saying to Titus, you need to stress this with the believing community so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. You know what that tells us It tells us we're not called, as followers of Jesus, to passivity. We are called to activity. You know, we live in our culture. We're a culture of watchers. We like to watch stuff. We like to watch television. We like to watch movies. And I like adventure movies. And adventure movies are great. But there's something that happens almost subconsciously is that when you're watching an adventure movie, what are you doing? You're just sitting back and you watch the adventure unfold, right? And you may have a little popcorn or something to drink or snack on, and you're sitting there watching the adventure unfold. Well, here's what is so interesting. The kingdom of God that we're called to is an adventure. The difference is we're not supposed to be sitting back watching. We're part of the cast. Ever think of yourself that way? Sometimes, you know, we get this view of the ministry. Well, the, the ministry are, is for vocational people, uh, the ministry is for the leader people. No, the ministry is for all of us. We are part of the cast, and we need to be involved and engaged in part of the adventure by being engaged in good deeds. So that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds that little verb there that is translated engaged is a very interesting one it is a verb that is used several times in the new testament for leading what it really means is that each one of us are to take a lead in good deeds <laughs> this isn't just something for the elders of the church or the pastors of the church We're we're to be taking the lead in. We're to be leading out. You're to be leading out in good deeds. You're to be leading the way for others. So that when people see your life, they would see that's what a believer's life is to look like. Being engaged in good deeds. So that our youth see that happening with those of us who are older. And our children see that happening with those who are older than them. So, So that new believers see that in our life. We're to take the lead in, we're to be engaged in, we're to lead out, lead the way for others. And notice he says there in verse 8, this is good and profitable if we do that. It's good and profitable on two levels. It's good and profitable for those who receive the good deed. You know, when he was sharing with some of what was going on earlier at Go Wild, was it good and profitable for them to receive some of the Of course it was. they're sitting there thinking, whoa. But it's not only good and profitable for those who receive the deed, it's good and profitable for those who perform the kind deed. As he says in verse 14, it makes us fruitful as believers. Now, having looked at that statement, I want you to see that you have verses 9, 10, and 11. Then you have verses 12 and 13. And then you have verse 14, which seems to talk again about this idea of engaging in good deeds. And some who interpret this feel like what's happening is that Paul is just jumping around. He, he talks about engaging in good deeds in verse 8. Then he, he starts talking about another issue in verse, verses 9 to 11. Then another thing in verses 12 to 13. And then he goes back to good deeds. And that's a possibility that that's all he's doing. But in my opinion... I think verse 8 and verse 14 are bookends on the point that he wants to make. And in my opinion, verses 9 to 11 is an example of a non-good deed, what we might call an anti-good deed. And then when he gives gives some information in verses 12 and 13, they're real-life illustrations of what a good deed looks like. And then he puts the final bookend on it again in verse 14. So let's take a look at verses 9 and 11, thinking of them as an example of a non-good deed or an anti-good deed or a so-called good deed you would want to avoid. Notice he says there in verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless now you'll notice it talks about things that are profitable in verse 8 now he's talking about things that are unprofitable what i think is an anti-good deed people who uh, are involved in foolish controversies discussions about genealogies that's talking about spiritual pedigrees And strife, that's talking about arguments and disputes about the law, that's quarrels about spiritual minutia. And here's what I think happens in certain people's minds. In their minds, they tend to think having all these disputes about these things is a good thing. But in reality, it's not a good thing. Strife and disputes stir up controversy and potentially can lead to division in the believing community. I believe what Paul is saying is that we need to be emphatic about what the Scripture emphasizes, and we need to avoid being emphatic over minor issues and minutiae. He says, these kinds of things are unprofitable and worthless. It really means useless. Useless in what way? When it comes to honoring God. When it comes to adorning the doctrine of God in every respect. That's worthless stuff. We don't need to be doing that. I like what Warren Wiersbe observed, and he'd been a pastor for many years. Decades, he said this, I have learned that Christians who like to argue about the Bible are usually covering up some sin in their lives, are very insecure, or are usually unhappy at work or at home. Now, I have to say something. I've been around a while myself. And I tend to agree with that observation. Notice verse 10. It says, reject a factious person after a first and second warning. You say, what's a factious person? I think the NIV translates it a divisive person, someone who's causing divisions. And we are to reject them after a first and second warning. In other words, it's wrong to ignore this kind of stuff. It's wrong to tolerate this kind of stuff in the church of Jesus Christ. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Paul said, Keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching you have learned and turn away from them. You should not be tolerating such stuff. What does it mean to reject them or to turn away from them? It means to break fellowship with them. You can go and look at the passage later, but I think there's some parallels with Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus talked about a brother sinning, and the first thing you're to do is individually go and admonish them, and that's the personal level of of talking to them about their attitude and their practice, but if they don't listen, it says, and I think this is the first warning, you go back with a few witnesses. And then if they don't respond to that, this is the second warning. You go back and you take the issue before the church. But this so-called idea that this is a good thing is not a good thing at all. And notice it says in verse 11, you can know that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Now, when it says perverted, it doesn't mean in a sexual way. It means that they're warped and they're twisted spiritually. They're off kilter and they're self-condemned because their behavior is self-incriminating. It reminds me of Galatians 5 when it says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, they're obvious. You can't argue with it. You display that, we know where it's coming from. And when someone does this kind of a thing, causing dissensions and arguments and disputations, it's self-condemning. Now, when you come to verses 12 and 13, I think now he turns and gives us some true examples of good deeds. He says in verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Titus, I want you to make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. In other words, he's saying, I need some encouragement from you, Titus. I would like you to come and minister to me. See, that's a That's a good deed. The idea that we would support and encourage other people in some way is a good deed. And then he says in verse 13, please diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. I think the NIV says so that they have everything that they need. See, that's what a good deed is. You see a need and you respond to the need. I've shared this story before But it was a number of years ago when I was casually mentioning to a guy in the body here named John who happened to be a high school teacher. And I was telling him, you know, my library was growing and I needed more bookshelves. And then he started asking me questions. I didn't really know why, but he said, well, what else would you like as part of your office? And I said, you know, I would love to have this credenza behind me so I could have things on my desk and I could spin back and forth and I could have books open behind me. And unbeknownst to me, he went out and bought a whole bunch of materials. He didn't have a lot of money as a high school teacher. And then there was somebody that he knew who had a wood shop, and he asked him if in the evenings he could come, and the weekends he could come to that wood shop. And he spent his evenings and weekends, and he built the furniture that still sits in my office the shelves with the thousands of books on them and the credenza where I prepare the messages just like I'm giving today. Now, I'm not saying that as some sort of appeal, you know, what this really means to do good deeds and engage in good deeds is you got to find out how you can help me. That's not the point. But it's a great illustration of someone who was looking around, you see, for needs with an ear to hear and then thought about how can I meet that need. So he wraps everything up with verse 14 Uh, notice it again, he says, our people must learn to engage in good deeds. I want you to notice that phrase, we must learn to do this. Do you see that this is a process that we grow into? This is one of the marks of maturity. What's it like to be a mature Christian? You learn that this is what we do. The gospel is to make a difference in the way we live our life. It's not that we embrace everything with salvation and then we just sort of cruise waiting around for heaven to get here. We must learn. What does it say there? Look at that again. We must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. Let me ask you this question. Where are you in the process? Where are you in that learning process? to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. Second thing I want you to notice about verse 14 is so that they will not be unfruitful. Remember the culture's tendency? Hey, let's be transparent. You know my tendency? It's to be self-absorbed. But we can't be self-absorbed and be fruitful I like the way the NIV puts it here, so that they would not have unproductive lives. Just an interesting way this is constructed in Greek. There is a word for fruit, which is the word karpos, K-A-R-P-O-S. And all he did is he put that alpha privative, that A, in front of it. Just to be not fruitful, to be unproductive. Is your life marked by engaging in good deeds? It's a vital part of the designer's fashion for your life. It's a vital part of adorning the doctrine of God in every respect. Now, as you know, when we get involved with the Word of God, we like to talk about some life response that we can have. And I want to give you two things that you can do immediately. The first one is to stay alert for needs. To be on the lookout, as they would say in the action movies, keep your eyes peeled. Stay on the alert looking for needs. Believe me, God has a plan to bring some needs across your path. So the first thing is stay alert for needs. The second thing is get engaged in kind deeds. There are thousands of ways that we can encourage and support people in their needs. And remember, this is an opportunity that we have to shine as light. Remember what it says in Matthew, the the words of Jesus, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, I want you to to dig into your your bulletin there. You're going to find in there some things we, we call kindness cards. The idea is thinking about ways that God's kindness can be expressed to people in a practical way. And we've given you this card. This is part of life response where you can do something kind for somebody this next week and hand them the card. You do a kind deed, and you hand them the card. Notice it says, "'Please enjoy this random act of kindness.'" Turn me over. Someone from Wildwood cares enough to do a kind thing for you. God cares for you even more. 1 John 4.10, "'This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins.'" We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 or 10.50. And then we have information about Wildwood on that kindness card. Now, one of the reasons why I gave you this is you don't need this to do good deeds. But it's just a way to kind of warm up your awareness. If you think about it, I'm going to give this to somebody this next week. By the way, we have more. Some of you are going to go, I'd like to have 10 of those. There are more on the tables as you leave the worship center. So if you want 10 of them, take 10 of them. But one of the reasons why I want you to do this in the next week is it's just beginning to plant some seeds out there in the community. And I just want you to understand something. Don't feel burdened by this. Have fun with this. Have some fun. And there's all kinds of creative things you can do. How about on a rainy day? If you showed up at some store or some business with a big umbrella and you said, I'm just here to escort people from their cars to the business. And as you do that, you just hand them this card. Uh, You could do something like, as as we get warmer, to deliver a cold drink or some Gatorade to an outdoor worker that you see, and you give them the drink and you just give them the card. Uh, Maybe you might want to bake some cookies or bake some treats for a neighbor and just bring them over, and you just give them the card, give them the kindness card. Or maybe you can make up a basket of treats that you could take to A police station or to a fire department station, and you give it to them and you just give them the card. Another thing some people have done is you can go buy relatively inexpensive um, flower seed packs. You know, we're planning things this time of year, and you could just staple a card to the pack and just ask them, Would you like a free flower seed pack? Um, Another little thing you might even consider doing, see, there's all kinds of stuff we could do, would be to maybe buy some chamois, you know, those little chamois that you have to dry uh, cars with after they've been washed? What if you had three or four of you and you showed up at a self-service car wash, and as people pulled out of the bay, you say, would you like us to uh, dry your car for free? And if they say yes, some of them may think, you're weird, what are you hanging around here for? But if they say yes, give them a card, dry their car off. By the way, this week I'm going to start a thread on the city. I'm going to share with you 10 more possible ideas of ways you can use kindness cards, and I'd love for you to get involved in the discussion. Maybe you have a lot of creative ideas too. But notice again what it says there in verse 14. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be un. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into it. And we know that the word is to make a difference in our life. It's to touch our hearts. And we want to, we want to be those who put on the designer's fashion. And part of that in our life is to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. And we know that when that happens, People are going to want to know, why are you the way that you are? And that's an opportunity and a window for us to talk about Jesus. And we just pray these things, that you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.